everyone. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to let you know that we do explicitly discuss rape and sexual abuse. The timeline will be in the show notes if you want to skip that, or if you want to listen to our other two episodes, you're welcome to do that as well. All right, happy listening. Welcome to the very first episode of Riffing on Bodice Riffers. My name is Kim Nguyen. And I'm Jenny Eccles. And today we are discussing The Duke and I by Julia Quinn, better known as Bridgerton mm-hmm. uh, from Netflix fame. Yep. It's the first in a series, I think, of like eight books. So a long road ahead of us. If we, if if we, we decide do to go well. down it. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, but first, I want to give you all a little introduction to the both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, my name is Kim. I'm currently a second semester senior, biology and English double major. So we talk a lot about books. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm Jenny, also a second semester senior, uh, Kim's roommate. So that makes things quite easy. Um and like Kim, I'm an English major, and I'm also a women's and gender studies major, so I just do analysis all the time. So you can say we're professional book readers. Yeah, as professional as unemployed college students can be. Oh, yeah. So Jenny, give us a brief synopsis of your little love affair with romance, mm. if you will. Yeah, I, well, I guess it started right once I got my nook when I was 11 years old at Christmas, I realized um, after spending all my gift card money that there was such a thing as free books and they were romance novels. They were uh, quite inappropriate for me to read at 11 years old. But here I am today still reading romance. Um, Yeah, I think probably I started to fall really deep into the romance hole when I started college and I needed something fun. And I also wanted to like give myself the space to explore adult fiction for the first time. Since I felt like more independent and like striking out on my own. I was like, let's try something new. And it was romance. And here I am four years later, deep, starting a podcast, about starting it. a podcast about it. Yeah, um, I had sort of a similar experience at least around the same age as you did because mm. I was a really big fan of YA novels yes um but the thing I was leaning towards is the romance in YA just every dystopian YA I was more in- invested in who the protagonist was going to end up with mm-hmm. and then at 11 I discovered fan fiction oh no Oh, yes. Wildly inappropriate fan fictions. <laughs> and that was when I realized there are actual published books that has romance and doesn't do Fade to Black the way that YAs rightfully do. Mm-hmm. And that was when my love affair with adult <laughs> romance started. Yeah. Also around 11 or 12. So we are, we're deeply involved. And I think YA is also pretty formative. It wasn't until like my later teen years when I started realizing like oh I want to know what ha- what's happening when they fade to black like and I don't care about uh what's her name Tris like doing her whole divergent thing I only cared about her in four and it was stuff like that where I was like okay so maybe my interests actually lie elsewhere and that's romance 
Yeah, and on that same vein, I'm just gonna say it right now. We are not going to be reviewing YAs mm -mm. on our podcast. There's a lot of great podcasts out there who do. Yeah. And you should give them a listen. But our aim here is to create a fun and safe environment, not only to talk about romance, but to talk about sex mm -hmm. as the women. It's not th that space and that opportunity doesn't really come by that no, often. Especially as young women, too. Especially as young women. And I mean, especially in our experience as um, English majors, romance as a genre has just been looked down on yes. for the dawn of time yeah it's only in like the last 10 years like scholar scholarly work is actually getting its due time uh. yeah so we're here to not only make fun of but to celebrate yes. people who love this genre to create the space to talk about romance and sex and celebrate like female sexuality yes and not to say that we don't like ya it's just that's it's a different space. It is a different space. It doesn't align with uh, necessarily our goals for this podcast. Right. So that being said, if we drag your favorite book, mm. just know that we are so glad that it that you enjoy it. And yes. we are not here to diminish your taste no. or your enjoyment. I mean, we're coming from a place of love. Like we have a deep-seated love for romance novels. And so if we're dragging a book, it's probably because we saw promise in it and we want something better. Um, and if that was something better for you, that's amazing. It just didn't strike us. Exactly. So all from a place of love mm -hmm. and a place of fun. And it's all, of course, our opinions. Yes. Which you can take what you want and leave what you want. That's yeah. perfectly okay. And I'm prefacing that, of course, for the entire show, but specifically <laughs> for this episode. Oh, no. Because, um... Things went awry. Things did go awry. I think we both Duke expected to love this. Me, because I've read it before. And you, because there's so much love for the book and the series was coming out as we were reading this one. Yes, and on paper... It has everything that I usually enjoy. Oh, yeah. And I'm a big Jane Austen fan, so I was like, ah, oh, yes, Regency romance. Uh, I'd eat that up. I will be, I'll be honest. I'm, I don't really read historical fiction mm -hmm. and it's historical romance, so I did not know, the like, <laughs> from what Jenny has told me, the really specific tone yes. that <laughs> romance or that historical romance has, which is uh, not at all accurate no there it's not accurate in syntax i think they're trying to do accuracy maybe in like social rules but but like still even that is like peppered in barely yeah. it's like if you want to self-insert yourself into regency era which honestly i love because i think historical romance is probably my second most read subgenre after ah. contemporary romance Ooh, yeah all right. Well, maybe it's also the fact that this is very specifically in the Regency era. And like I said, being a Jane Austen fan, I'm quite used to like her conventions because mm. she's obviously from that era. So reading anything modern time that takes place in that era just makes it feel like 
a worse version, mm, even yeah. though like because it's a wildly different approach. Yes. So, but that's not my biggest problem with it. No. And we'll get into it. But first, Jenny, can you please give us the synopsis? Yes. So first, I'd like to say on the cover, it says that Julia Quinn, the author of The Duke and I, is, quote, truly our contemporary Jane Austen. So food for thought. All right. Yeah, I rolled my eyes at that, I will admit. <laughs> okay, here's the synopsis. In the ballrooms of Regency London, rules abound. From their earliest days, children of aristocrats learn how to address an earl and curtsy before a prince, while other dictates are unspoken yet universally understood. A proper duke should be imperious and aloof. A young, marriageable lady should be amiable, but not too amiable. Daphne Bridgerton has always failed at the latter. The fourth of eight siblings in her close-knit family, she is universally admired for her kindness and wit, but no one truly desires her. She is simply too honest for that, too unwilling to play the romantic games required to captivate gentlemen. Amiability is not a characteristic shared by Simon Bassett, Duke of Hastings. Recently returned to England from abroad, Simon shuns both marriage and society, just as his callous father shunned him. Yet an encounter with his best friend's sister offers another option. If Daphne agrees to a fake courtship, Simon can deter the mamas who parade their daughters before him. Daphne, meanwhile, will see her prospects soar. The plan works like a charm, at first. But amid the glittering, gossipy, cutthroat world of London's elite, there is only one certainty. Love ignores every rule. Okay, so, like, that's exactly why I had all the hopes in the world of and all the expectations in the world that I would like this novel because mm-hmm. it has all the tropes I'm that holds deep seat in my heart yeah right so Daphne dating. dates her brother's best friend and fake dating that's just peak peak combo for me but before we get into all the reasons that it took a turn for the worst yes. for me let's break down our characters so as Jenny said we have our main heroine Daphne Bridgerton um, the fourth, yes, daughter, the fourth child, and in first daughter, first daughter, and a total of eight. Which, good God, yeah. And okay. she has three older brothers, which is a fact that the author reminds us of frequently. Because mm-hmm. Daphne's not like other girls. Yeah, no, she is, as the cover said, very nice, very amiable. Has a just, just. A, the strongest case of not like other girls itis I've <laughs> ever seen in a fictional yeah. character. Um, okay, and then there's her love interest, Duke Simon Bassett. Mm-hmm. Rakish, handsome. Aloof. Bad reputation. Hot. Hot. In short. Okay, let's, I'm going to try and recount the many siblings oh, of Daphne Bridgerton. So. Because I know them off the top of my head, so I can correct you. <laughs> Uh, so the the thing is, they're named alphabetically because there are so many of them. So there's her oldest, Anthony, mm-hmm. Benedict, mm-hmm. Colin, yep, Daphne, yep. I want to say an Edwin, but I know that's not no. it. Do you want me to give you a clue? Sure, because it's a girl and it starts E L. Eleanor. No, it's Eloise. Eloise. Mm-hmm. Too many. Yeah. F is 
also a girl. Fiona Felicity. Felicity. I did read Francesca. this book. I promise. Well, Francesca. All the younger siblings are mentioned probably like once right. or twice. And then yeah, nope. That's six of them. It's two more. Gregory. Uh huh. And Hyacinth, which yes. comes up quite frequently, being the last one. So she's designated as like the cute, mm-hmm. comical character. Yes. But unfortunately, fell very flat for me. I'm uh. sorry. I'm affronted. I don't like seven-year-olds. I will say their personality shines so much more in the audiobook. I listened to the audiobook like a year or two ago, and I was able to differentiate among like all the siblings like that. It was so easy, and they were. It was also like really charming and fun, and I don't think that translates um, when you're reading it necessarily, unless you already have this sort of like idea in your head. That's fair. That's super fair. And for me, the first problem that came up when I was reading this book was that the setup took, like, 200 fucking pages. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I went into this really loving the first 50 pages because, like, Daphne and Simon meet pretty quick. They do. And the back and forth is already, like, really charming and really heated because Simon's, like, immediately physically attracted to her. And then figures out that she is his best friend's younger sister. Mm -hmm. So now he's like, well, this isn't something I can do. Right. She's, um, because even back then, apparently, is what the author expects us to believe. Back then, there's a code. The bro code existed even in Regency times. Honestly, I wonder, okay, I don't know if this is something you picked up on. But Anthony is, like, so jealous to the point where I'm like, yeah, did they do something? Yeah. It's just, like, anytime I thought about it, I was like, so what if Simon and Anthony were a thing? Probably. Because he gets, like, so angry, like, when they talk to each other. And I know that it's written as, like, oh, defending my sister's honor. Yeah, because Simon's a a rake. And he, like, besmirches women's reputation up and down England. And you just can't tell me that they didn't have some sort of unrequited crush during their college days when they were sexually exploring. Like, I mean, all I of Oxford was just a homosocial situation because they didn't let women in. So mm-hmm. it was quite common, actually. But, okay. So, dynamics, great, hot. They have this great banter. Yes. And then it's just endlessly about Daphne's family Mm-hmm. Which, I, I, again, wasn't fleshed out enough for me to care. Mm. I think maybe I'm coming from a biased perspective because I have read, I think, up until Francesca's book. So Yeah, so that's the other thing. Each book in the series follows a different Bridgerton. Yes. Or not a Bridger- uh, a different... No, yes. <laughs> Bridgerton sibling, yeah. Bridgerton sibling. Each book follows a different Bridgerton sibling. So after this... Um, we start at A and then go all the way through. Um, so I've read the majority of this, so maybe I'm seeing stuff that doesn't actually translate, and because I'm just more familiar with the series, it does resonate with me. Um, yeah, and I'm probably just biased because, like I said, I, I'm an only child, Yeah, and I don't super enjoy being around children. Mm-hmm. So all the scenes where Hyacinth and Gregory are like, running around being cute, I was just like, I don't care. Yeah. I do think that's a bit odd, 
because um, obviously the books, by the time it's their books, they're like 18 to 20 years old. Um, so the knowledge of them like throwing peas at each other at a dinner table isn't necessarily like needed, but it's probably just to show like Daphne comes from this huge loving family, which is in such contrast to Simon's upbringing and has both influenced their decisions on whether or not they want kids, where Daphne desperately wants to start a family and Simon think, um, has come to the conclusion that he'll never want kids. Yeah, and that was the other thing for me. Like, as much as I wanted to like our heroine, because it's always more enjoyable when you like the person you're reading about, I didn't super... I did not vibe with her, mm-hmm. largely because I don't want children. I don't ever yeah. want children, and that's from a very like it's a long list of personal reasons that I don't have to justify no. to anyone except myself and maybe my partner. So then, having such a large part of the plot and the conflict of the plot be about her having children, I just kind of lost motivation to like want to see it resolved because I'm like. and then it got very problematic yes which we'll talk about at length i'm sure um but it does also like dilute daphne's character to being like this person who's so adamant about having kids where i think in the beginning they were trying to show her as this like spunky witty um like new season girl who was able to hold it hold her own with this rake and by the Mm -hmm. end she's just like a desperate person who mm-hmm. wants kids and I think that was a shame right and that's not at all to say that like women are any less for wanting kids or not wanting no. kids we do not like you know do what you want that's what the choice and pro-choice stands for yeah. <laughs> it's, it's up to you but our like my problem here is that that's all that we got after it was established that Simon didn't want kids mm-hmm. everything else about Daphne's just like got pushed to the back seat and like yeah. every other paragraph was how she's so sad yes that she can't have children so just like it was hard to like slog through that mm-hmm. when i personally like side with simon mm-hmm. like and we'll get into like the whole thing about why simon doesn't want kid but like i said like i think any reason is valid yeah so you know all right and let's see what else is happening with the plot i mean not much it's a lot of back and forth it's a lot of will they won't they and then we finally get an answer when um daphne leads simon into this like garden well okay so they meet at the ball and simon like i said they're both super attracted to each other but simon has to hold himself back because it's his best friend's younger sister yes and then Nigel Burbrook. Yes. Tried to accost her because he's drunk at a ball. And, and Simon, gross. Simon decks him. Yes. And that's how they kind of bond. Or Which does Daphne? I think it's Simon. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. Yeah, because she's not like other girls. She can that's punch. That's right. Yes. And the reason she can punch is because she has three older brothers. <laughs> yeah. They mention that she has three older brothers a lot as like a reason why she's so spunky. I did a tally. Oh, how many times? Seven mentions. Oh, wow. And I bet they were all in, like, the first half, because the second half, her brothers are basically nowhere to be found. Correct. Eventually, like, Daphne confesses to Simon that, like, she wants to get married, she wants to have children, because 
there's not really a lot of options for women mm-hmm. from the time. Um, and um, her biggest problem is that men literally keep zo- friend zoning. Her. Yes. I wish I was exaggerating, but that is her biggest problem is that men find her too amiable and they only see her as her friend. So then they come up with a plan that if the Duke, who never wants to get married, pretends to court her, then it will drive her desirability up. And it does work. It does work. But the problem is Simon is very attracted to her. And she's very attracted to him. Also, can you imagine your biggest flaw as being too nice? Yeah. In my note, I literally said her issue, her biggest issue is she keeps getting friend zoned. (laughs) I'm like, okay, girl, like, I get it. You want to get married soon to, like, show an example to your uh, your family because you have a huge family and obviously you don't want eight kids um, in the season at the same time. God forbid. Um, but, yeah, she always is friend zone, so she gets Simon to help her out. But they don't really show, the, like, the hijinks of it. Exactly. They don't show the fun moments. It's just, yes. like, they have feelings and then they eventually get engaged. It's right. no like, oh, this happened. And like, oh, let's go out on, on the ton and like yeah. do this fun thing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because why do I love fake dating tropes so much? Mm-hmm. For all of the opportunities for there to be angst and hijinks. Like that's yes. such a perfect situation. You all know it. If you're a romance lover, if you're a fanfic lover, the there's only one bed moment. Yes pinnacle of desire and passion but we only really get like simon comes and calls on her a couple times and then we get to see how jealous he is that the plan is working and all these suitors are yeah at her door and then they go on a family like day trip yeah and that is also full of sibling hijinks instead of what i actually want which is Simon and Daphne pretending slash not pretending that they're dating. Honestly, I completely forgot about this. And it's like an entire chapter in the book. That's how much setup we have. Yeah. Is that there's just so many unmemorable moments just because she's constantly surrounded by her family. I do think it makes Anthony's book quite compelling because we know him so deeply. But it doesn't add anything to Simon and Daphne's love story. Yeah. So then all of this back and forth culminates in... A moment where they're at a ball together and the attraction is too much and Daphne leads him into a dark corner of a garden. Yes. And I think it's interesting here. Um, if you're reading it for the first time, you don't know what happens later, but um, it seems fine. You know, she's like, oh, he says, she says, we must. And he said, we can't. Um, and it's like, fun and flirty but then if you read it in the context knowing what Daphne does to Simon in the third act I didn't even think about that yeah it completely changes where she's had this pattern then of like manipulating him yeah one of my notes does say she high key lies to him a lot to get what she wants Mm -hmm. okay we'll get to all that anyway so um, Simon pushes her up against the hedge makes out with her pushed up against a hedge that must be so uncomfortable to have human contact at all oh wow (laughs) we are recording this in the depths of a global pandemic yep and we have not we're coming up on a full year i i just 
I think if anyone so much as brushes the back of my hand right now, I just die. Yeah, I'd spontaneously combust. Yep. I mean, I freak out when I make eye contact with our neighbor. So <laughs> who knows? If if anyone touches me that I'm remotely uh, um, attracted to, it's going to be over for me. Yeah. We're looking forward to being able to integrate yeah. back into human society. Gotta love the vaccine. Anyhow. Yes. They're making out. They're making out. He um, descends down the column of her neck. Mm-hmm. Kisses her supposedly heaving bosom. Yep. Her bosom. <laughs> her bosom, because it's olden times. And I just... I mean, yes, they there are corsets, but if you look at Regency-era corsets, it's just cleavage and then a long tube. It's not hourglass by any means, but that's fine. I'm nitpicking. Compromising situation to be caught in. Yes. And therefore, they get caught. Of course. And it's by Anthony, no less. Her older brother. Who said, who, um, when he comes up on the scene, immediately calls Simon a bastard and threatens his life. Uh, which is then leads to our duel scene. Yeah, a literal fucking duel. Yeah. You guys. Very Hamilton of them. That's the only other place I've, like, seen a duel in. I've only watched Hamilton once. Okay, but... Wasn't this written before Hamilton? Oh, yeah. So it's fine. It's fine. Um, if anything, Lin-Manuel Miranda read The Duke and I. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they have this dual scene. Where... Oh, my God. Sorry. Bridgerton musical? Oh, my God. I, when I was reading the last chunk of this, I was, like, getting to the end scene, and my mind just kept going, I'd burn for you. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's so good. And it becomes a problem because Anthony's like, marry my sister or I'll shoot you. And Simon. Simon's like, hell no. Simon's like, hell no. Not because he doesn't love her, but because he knows that she desperately desires children. And he has made up his mind not to have them. Mm-hmm. And because he loves her so very much, he refuses to marry her because he knows that he can't give her what she wants. So then instead of agreeing to marry her he's just like okay we'll duel guess you'll kill me yeah and he does say something in in your notes he said okay small twinge here um where he tells daphne if it could be anybody deaf it would be you i promise you that yes my heart did give a little twinge at that moment so i mean that's like adorable it is adorable and i wish we got more of that where yeah i really like it when a love interest says something very sincere Mm -hmm. but cannot fully express their desire for whatever the circumstances i just love like having such strong emotions you say something that's so desperate as if it could be anyone it would be you yeah i know it's so good and then that's like obviously heart-wrenching for daphne right because she's like well why can't you i want it to be you too yeah but instead of having those moments it's just weird hijinks that's not fun like oh yeah they're gonna duel so then Daphne is freaking out I was okay duels usually aren't that dangerous because olden guns aren't accurate are not accurate at all yeah but Daphne's convinced that Simon's gonna die Mm -hmm. because Simon's too noble to actually shoot at Anthony so he'll pull a Hamilton and shoot to the sky. And shoot to the sky. 
And Anthony loves his sister too much to have her reputation besmirch. Yes, so he must shoot directly at Simon's heart. Which, aim for the head. Yeah. Like, even back then, you should know that. I mean, like, if back then, though, if he aims for the heart and it misses and it goes on his torso, he's probably going to die anyways, just from, like, infection, right? Yeah. Just be, like, a slow death. I don't I don't know. I don't know about guns. <laughs> Never touched one. <laughs> Daphne then convinces Colin. Colin. Mm-hmm. To help her out by delaying the duel. And she hops on. Well, he doesn't delay the duel. He tells her um, where the duel is taking place. Oh, oh, yes. yes she so convinces. It's a secret location. She convinces Colin to tell her where the duel is taking place. And then she hops on a horse and rides there, mm-hmm. which is apparently seen as a super dangerous act because gasp, what if they accidentally shoot her? Yes. And I will say they kind of come close. So we're about like halfway through the book right and they still haven't like that's so together. not close to halfway it's but it's still about like what 100 pages 150 it's pages 209 pages <gasps> i was right it is 200 pages of straight setup yeah because the book's 400 pages oh my god so on page 209 of the mass market paperback we have um what's her daphne we have daphne riding to the duel right as um Anthony and Benedict pick up their pistols and begin the long walk to the north side of the field. And then you hear um, Daphne coming up and screaming, wait, and um, they almost shoot her, I guess, but they weren't even done walking yet. They hadn't even raised their pistols. Also, they weren't done walking. And duels, like if you're about to go into a duel and then you hear horses gallop, would you still shoot? Or would you just be like, damn, let me wait and see who it is so I don't yes. kill an innocent bystander? Well, you, you also don't want anyone to see because it's illegal. Right. So you got to do it when no one's around. So if you hear horses, you just stop. Feel free to uh, fact check us at any oh, point. Please. We have We know nothing. Yeah, this is all hearsay. So email us at rippingonbodicerippers at gmail.com. Yep. And let us know. Yeah, give us all your facts. We'd love to hear where we went wrong. But, yeah, I think it's illegal. Anyhow, whatever. There has to be some peril in there. So, sure, they could have shot at Daphne. Yeah, and then they have conversation after conversation, and it's eventually um, come to the conclusion. um, Well, they have conversation after conversation, and... Simon tells Daphne, he finally gives her a reason why he can't marry her, and he says he can't have children, and he knows that she wants to start a family, um, and so he doesn't want to trap her in a marriage. Yeah, and what he says very specifically is, I can't have kids. Yes, very important to note. Which then leads her to believe that he's infertile, Mm -hmm. but what it actually is, he does not want kids, because... He had a horribly abusive and neglectful father, mm-hmm. and his father's like only goal in life is to propagate the um, Bassett line and yes. keep the Duke of Hastings title. So he, like, so Simon's conclusion is, if he doesn't have children, then there's no heir to the title. Therefore, one upping his dead father. Yes, he finally wins a long game. All of this is. Without Daphne's knowledge, like yes. this was Daphne was not privy privy to this knowledge until like many 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 pages later. Yes, like literally third act, 
at least 100 pages. Yes. Daphne's right now under the impression that he is infertile and she was like, okay, well, I don't want you to die because I love you. So let's just do this and I will somehow make peace with the fact that I can't have children. Yes. And so um, Simon believes that the duel is still on. Daphne once again interrupts them, says there will be no duel. His grace and I will be getting married. And I thought this was funny. Um, Simon released a breath he didn't know he was was holding. holding. Oh, my God. You guys. Oh my god, that line. Iconic. But not like it should be its own cliche by now that sentence. I mean, I'm pretty sure it is in like YA circles, but not romance. Yeah, but I mean, if it has permeated the YA circle and the fanfic circle, that means it's been used. It's alive and well in romance. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Just a breath I didn't know I was holding. Right. Ooh. Right. Anyways. Anyways. Have you done that? I've never done that. I think maybe I've done it when I'm like um, running or like exercising. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but from like, emotional what? turmoil. From emotional turmoil, absolutely not. Like sometimes I've been like shocked into freezing, but I was still breathing that entire time. All right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, more power to you if you, you release a breath you okay, don't know I, you've been holding. Yeah, well, I just... It, I like that Simon's the one that did it, because normally it's, like, the female character. Mm-hmm. So, points for that. Yeah. It's a fun little upset. And then, finally, finally, we get them engaged, and it's a quick engagement. Um, well, okay. Go back a second. Okay. So, Simon believes that the duel's still on, so Daphne, what does she do? Punches him in the eye. His oh. other eye, because Colin, or not Colin, Anthony already hit him after discovering him in the garden. So Daphne punches him in the good eye. So now he has two black eyes. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. And, and so she, so Simon's like swelling eye. Can't really see because both of his eyes are now damaged. Oh and she God. looks at Anthony and is like, well, you can't shoot him now. That's on- not honorable. Okay. And that's and- how she thwarts the duel. So bizarre. And Daphne, or not Daphne, Simon also says Daphne Pike packs quite a punch, punch for, for a girl. girl. Yes. And okay. so a lot of things are anachronistic in this book. So mm-hmm. I really wish she hadn't made him misogynistic. Yes. Like I know for every reason he would be being a Duke, being an Oxford college graduate mm-hmm. at that time. Not, you know. But it's already anachronistic in every single other way please just give us a non-misogynistic yeah. love interest like if we're gonna live out our fantasy of fake dating our brother's best friend make him like a good guy in the process too yeah you know because simon looks down on other women which is why he falls in love with daphne because she is not like other girls not like other girls mm-hmm. Yeah, and even... Because she knows how to punch. She knows how to punch because of her three older brothers. Um, and I will say, too, that, like, shows up a, a lot more vividly in the third act when they're fighting and he's telling her about how he owns her and he she yes. must obey him. <laughs> I was like, okay, I know it's true because of coverture laws and, mm-hmm. like, technically he is her property. Legally, yes. But, but so gross. So gross. Why did you have to... It's like, let me escape into my Regency, Regency, like, sort of 
romance yeah. and yeah. not think about how I would not have any sort of agency. Look, we all just want to live in Taylor Swift's love story music video. Yeah. That's okay. all we want. That's all we want. I just want to Misogyny does not exist in that world. No, not at all. And you can't tell me otherwise. Oh. All right. So they're engaged. She's miserable because she's tied up in knots about not being able to have children. Mm-hmm. Girl, you're about to become a duchess. Yeah, you're about to be rich as hell. Adopt get, some children, why don't you? Get your head in the game. Oh my goodness. Like, why can't... If she's like, oh, Simon can't have children, but I want to start a family. Why does she not think adoption is a viable option then? I don't think, because I don't know how common it is at that time. Whatever. I mean, it's <laughs> not like their family is a common family. Um, they're always talked about as being a quirky bunch. So I wouldn't be surprised. But the wedding itself uh, goes off and it's quite fun. And I think this is the one of my like favorite lines um, by Hyacinth is that mm, um, mm-hmm. they're like Simon and Daphne are like laughing and um, during their first kiss as man and wife, which yes. is very cute. I like it. And Violet Bridgerton later said it was the oddest kiss she'd ever been privileged to view. And then Hyacinth says, I think it's nice. If they're laughing now, they'll probably be laughing forever. Isn't that a good thing? I love that. I was like, yes, you little precocious child. I love it too. I love it too, but I just hate the insightful child trope. I'm sorry. I look. That's okay. Perhaps this is perhaps a harsh book to do on our very first episode because all of our listeners are like, oh Jesus, she hates children. Hey, we got to start somewhere, you know. I just, it's a complicated age to enjoy them. Five to five to ten. They're yeah. just a lot. I mean, I can speak for my mom being like a first grade TA. I mean, they're six and seven years old. It's like their personalities are really shining through, but they also know how to like start like messing things up on purpose and like they're playing with like aggravation. They're like, how far can I push people's buttons? I think also in media specifically like in real life i would still be nice to a child even if i would not be comfortable babysitting them let's not get me wrong i'm not fucking ebenezer scrooge right but in media specifically there's this recurring thing of like oh the seven-year-old has to be as adorable as possible so we're gonna make her say things that are like wildly Mm -hmm. adult like they have such an old soul sort of yeah and that like forced precociousness mm-hmm. on children just makes me want to roll my eyes because a child child actors not great actors usually usually so when they try to really hard to lean into the cute thing i'm just like just relax it's okay well i think uh mcculkey culkin did a great job in home alone yeah that's probably like the one shining precocious child depiction that like truly worked for me i think full house did it really well Mm. with the olsen twins yes because they weren't like overly insightful they were just toddlers yeah well i wonder if um if we decide to go through and read the series who knows if we will if um hyacinth's precociousness will not seem as forced because it is a through line throughout the entire series or if you'll still um find it sort of grating because i don't know if 
I think it turns from precociousness to wittiness. Just genuine wittiness once she grows up. Yeah, Yeah. that's fair. So it probably is better when you're, like, reading her book and she's, like, in her 20s or something. Yeah. I haven't read her final book, but I'm sure she's better grown up. As a kid? Oh, sure. Not great. But that's that's what I'm saying, though. That's why I don't really like small children that takes up a lot of the plot line because they usually don't add anything to it. It's just, like, levity. Yes. But... Yeah, I think there's better ways to show levity um, that would, like, further Simon and Daphne's relationship or at least add to the believability. Yeah. I would love if they, like, you know, were walking and she, like, fell in a mud puddle and they're, like, Mm -hmm. laughing about it. And, like, that would be cute because you get to see those sort of, like, slower moments in the day. But a good amount of teasing in a relationship. Like, I want to know what they're doing, like, on a super lazy day. Right. When they don't have duels and, like arguments that might break up their marriage they get married now daphne oh now daphne is super nervous for her wedding night because she literally doesn't know what's about to happen yes her mom violet bridgerton comes in the night before and was like uh it's time to give you the talk except she's so uncomfortable that she doesn't actually say anything yeah, it's very, there's something that happens on a wedding night and, and that's it pertains how you... to having a child. Right. So then, obviously, the conclusion Daphne draws is that Simon is impotent. Yep. And I just think this whole book, um, not the whole book, but the second half when they're married, just shows how a lack of sex ed can have dire consequences. Dire. Um, and that they result in big gaps in your knowledge space like Mm -hmm. she knows nothing about sex she knows nothing about sexual pleasure and Simon like takes it all in stride and he's able to like show her and he has a big emphasis on like pleasing her and like showing her the ropes which is great but she like knows nothing and that's like especially like nerve-wracking and frightening for her oh of course it all be fixed with actual discussion Right. And that's, again, we know it's Regency times. We know it's historical. But that's just, like, we're a huge proponent of open and honest sex talk, communication, mm-hmm. just because knowledge is power. And yes. that is, like, knowledge about sex isn't different from any kind of other knowledge that you may have. Yeah. And we see that point that knowledge is power when Daphne learns the what sex is and how you can have a child she then has power to influence the rest of their relationship right she, with that knowledge d- does a big decision that later we're ramping up to so let's just do it let's yeah. just launch into our segment what did they call it where we dissect the sex scenes that occur and mm-hmm. any well praise or roast any diction choice <laughs> that romance authors love to use so this book in particular, not that many sex scenes. I yes. will not count the rape scene because, like, that's not sex. No. But, uh, so their first night as man and wife, Simon learns that she literally knows nothing. And he's like, okay, don't worry. Like, I'll walk you through it. It'll be great. My one issue, well, my biggest issue is that she nearly comes from zero foreplay yeah. and penetration alone. Is it penetration? I thought he like maybe touched her breasts. Yeah, he kissed 
like it disc it was described as him he undressed her he kissed her face and lips and then neck and then breasts yes and but then nothing else and then he reaches down to check and he's like the book was like she's already like hot and wet and ready and yes. then he plunges in and she's like near like and it's from simon's near pov so simon was like oh my god she's like about to come already and i was like are you kidding me right it's like he does this thing where he like checks if she's ready by like inserting a finger and she obviously likes it right and instead of like keep going keep going like obviously my dick is bigger than a finger and he just plunges in yeah and then i miss julia quinn it's like that's not how it works girl i i call bullshit especially for your first time getting wet enough for penetration to not be painful with no stimulation other than kissing bullshit bullshit also I, I know this is throughout the book and maybe not specific to this scene, but they never show foreplay. Never. And so it's like maybe he kisses her breast and that's the most, but I don't think they even bring up the clitoris. It's always him like kissing her legs or yeah. thighs. Clitoris non-existent. Non-existent in this book. Um, So he's always like kissing her legs and thighs. And I'm like, are we supposed to like from that? be like oh he went down on her because yeah the the furthest we get is that he kissed her between the junction of her hip and her abdomen which which is right below your belly button yeah or like maybe the crease where your stomach meets your thigh yeah or like directly on the vulva right but right the junction connotates (laughs) a valley yeah i don't See, this is why we hate euphemisms, you guys. You'll quickly come to learn that the both of us hate euphemisms. Because there's so much questioning. And it's not sexy. No. You Next time you have sex with your partner and you're trying to dirty talk, try to use the word junction and see like how well that goes hell? over. Yeah. And that's all they use. They don't, like, they don't make any euphemisms about, like, his sexual member for all i remember it's just always like referred to as like he plunged into her he He, went inside her it's like just very like just uses the pronouns it doesn't talk about any sort of foreplay for him either right and so i see this a lot with that when was this book published oh 2000 okay so like i see this a lot in books like from the 1990s and the 2000 it like uh, romance books from the 1990s and the 2000s it the author always tries to straddle this line between chase and describing the sex scenes mm-hmm. and it which leads us to weird vague sentences like he enters her or her wetness or it's like the idea of a genitalia but no actual mention of it yeah it's like their whole bodies exist and then when it comes to like um I don't know, like their actual genitalia. It's just like a blur. It's you like only get somehow the idea. they get together. Yeah, you only get the idea of a penis. You never get the yeah actual penis. <sighs> yeah, the only thing I liked about this first sex scene was their playfulness and right. how he like took it slow mm-hmm. and he was like laughing and then she yes. was laughing. That like really loosened her up and like yeah. made her calm. Yeah, that was great and it was a great show of like how their banter in the beginning can reflect into their marriage um so i think that was great but aside from that it was a a pretty bland scene 
words. Right. And that's kind of just the case when you don't use dirty words. Like, sorry, I know. Like, this is just a stylistic choice that we share. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you enjoy that, good for you. Keep going. You go queen. But for us, it like it doesn't. It tones down the sexiness a lot if it's vague. So then yes. it, the scene doesn't really, it's not fun. Yeah, I think for us, we like it more when it's explicit because we can actually like picture it happening and right. really like understand their sexual chemistry. Yeah. Um, and some of the readers love like fade to black stuff right. or vague euphemisms. Um, so it's all just a matter of preference, but this one definitely falls under um, vague euphemisms. Yes. So you know what's happening, you just don't know necessarily how. Right. And for me, sexual chemistry is a huge part of a romantic relationship. So getting to read it really adds to the mm-hmm. um, experience of getting to know these characters the same way that reading anything about right. their inner lives adds to the character. Because then we know how they interact with each other in a moment that can be super vulnerable. Where right. A lot of trust is required. Um yeah, so I think the the good thing Simon did was put her at ease, add yeah. a little playfulness, mm-hmm. um, but... Yeah, but we call bullshit on the near instantaneous orgasm for yeah, a virgin with no foreplay. Okay, honestly, it reminded me of this free book I read like, <laughs> so years ago, so many years ago. I was probably like 14. Oh my goodness. And I didn't know what an orgasm was. And I was reading this like free ebook. And there was something about, like, how she was, like, so turned on. I think he was probably edging the entire... Mm. They were edging, and I just didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. So by the time he, like, touched her breast, she orgasmed. Oh, no. I remember, like, thinking about that a year later when I knew more and I had read more romance. And I was like, okay, that's some BS. Like, that could not have happened. Um, Yeah, so it kind of reminded me of that where it's like, oh, we've been building up to this moment, and it's going to be magical no matter what even if it doesn't make sense in context Mm -hmm. yeah all right so they go on happily in their little two-week honeymoon Mm -hmm. phase where they keep going at it and simon pulls out and every time comes on the sheet every time and also they apparently have sex non-stop for a week I would like to see it. Right. I would like to read it. That's all we got. The literal sentence was just, they spent the whole week in their bedroom. And I was like, Mm -hmm. why'd you gloss that over? It took you 200 pages to describe them getting together. And now I get no payoff? It took 180 pages for them to even kiss. I'm not Daphne, okay? I don't complete that quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I need some more judge, please. Julia. Julia, please. Um, Unfortunately, that is a theme throughout her books, I would say. Um, yeah, and everything's going smoothly until Daphne talks to Mrs. Coulson. Who uh, is their estate manager. Yes. And who has been there since Simon was a wee babe. Actually, before then, because she was um, Simon's mother's, like, handmaid or something like that. So she knew Simon's mother for, like, years and was very loyal to her. So after Simon's mother passed away... Uh, she kept on the estate um, out of some out of sense of duty to Simon um, and because she cared about um, Simon and, and she cared so deeply for her friend that she wanted to stay there. And they sort of have this talk about how Simon had a stutter when he was a child and Daphne wasn't aware of that. And then um, 
Mrs. Coulson just arbitrarily mentions, um, well, in reference to um, Simon's father being adamant about having a child, um, Mrs. Coulson refers back to um, Simon's father and mother's relationship in which um, Simon's father desperately wanted a son. And so he would keep pressuring Simon's mother and she acquiesced. But Simon's father would blame it on um, his wife, even though it might not have been her fault. And Mrs. Colson makes note of that and says that a strong seed will sow its oats. And maybe he just was the impotent one. Right. A passing comment that she didn't know would trigger Daphne's brain into putting two and two together and Mm -hmm. was like, oh, his seed. So that's what he's been doing every time we're having sex is making sure that his seed doesn't enter my womb. Yes. So they have sex, he always pulls out, and then he pushes her to the other side of the bed. Yeah, so, so like none of her body. So, can like, touch it. really making sure. But also, they're not using any protection, and pre cum can make you pregnant. I, I know that, but again, he doesn't know. Regency that. era. Yeah. And one thing I will say is, I don't like that Daphne learns about Simon's past and his trauma from another person. I was about to bring that up. I also agree. I was just like, okay. So the whole thing with Simon, this entire book, why he's so like angsty and withdrawn is that he grew up with a stutter and his father deeply resented him for it and treated him like literal garbage. And so Simon, wanting to please his father, who is his only living parent, Mm -hmm. desperately tried to overcome it. And, like, basically was just neglected his entire childhood. Yeah, and he told, his father told everyone that his, his son, son passed away. Yeah. So, anyways, eventually Simon got control of his stutter and it will only show back up when he's, like, very upset or very overcome with emotion. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, it's a very deep and personal trauma that nobody knows about. Right. So the fact that Daphne learns it not only from someone else, but against his, like, wishes. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want her to know about it. Right, because he's ashamed of it. He doesn't want her to look with pity or to start, like, analyzing everything he's doing. Right. It, yeah, it became, like, it all built up to a really horrible yes. event, which is Simon went off and got really drunk because... Daphne confronted him about lying to her, mm-hmm. about not being able to have children. Yeah, she's very upset that he said he couldn't have children when she realizes that Simon doesn't want children. So there's a difference between can and won't. Right. Um, so, yeah, she moves into a different room. Um, he's super pissed off about that. Um, right. And that goes back to our previous point about him saying that he owned her and to do what he wants and everything. Yeah. And she, you know, told him to fuck off. So eventually he did. Yeah. And he went to a bar. He got really drunk. He comes back. And yeah, he's so miserable that he comes back. He knocks on Daphne's door and she lets him in because he's really sad and really pathetic. And so he passes out. She gets him into the bed and then realizes, I think she literally said, oh, he's so drunk. I can make him do whatever i want yes and we'll get into this but the book then literally gaslights us and being like daphne didn't have any premeditation i know if you go through page 322 to 323 
It says this. He being Simon. He shifted restlessly and Daphne felt the strangest, most intoxicating surge of power. He was in her control, she realized. He was asleep and probably still more than a little bit drunk and she could do whatever she wanted with him. She could have whatever she wanted. Is that not premeditation? Yeah. Also, if you don't agree with us, just flip the pronouns in that sentence and you will see why that is horribly problematic like even if he was drunk and conscious and said yes it's still not consent but the fact that she literally thought oh i can make him do whatever i want right Mm -hmm. now that is not only premeditation but it's like intent yeah and the literally the uh, page before it says she understood why he was so dead set against bringing a child into this world so she completely understands his perspective and still turns a blind eye to it and says i will get what i want and use his body for what i want what i want yes and that's my issue with this is that so daphne eventually confronts him and is like i don't think you I think you don't want a child because you want to spite your father or not because you don't want a child. Which, even if that's true, the resolution to that is not to rape him and then force him to have a child. Yes. And again, flip the pronouns. I know. And it becomes disgustingly obvious. It's like a super, like, horrific scene reading it. I don't know how I got through listening to this a couple years ago I'm surprised I didn't remember it so distinctly but reading it back today I was like starring up everything because I was like oh my goodness like he gives her a strange pleading sort of look and a feeble attempt to pull away but she bore down on him with all of her might um, and thinks she had done this on purpose she had planned this and afterwards, he asks her, like, how could you? You took advantage of me. Yeah, and the thing is, she, oh Julia Quinn obviously knows that she's depicting rape because took advantage of me is a direct quote from Simon. Yes. And before then, they had a scene where when um, Simon wanted to go into Daphne's new room. She, she said, no said, means no. She said, no means no. Literal direct quote. She said, no means no. Yeah, no, she continued in a louder voice, means no. And he responds, you are my wife. You will sleep with me in my bed. And she says, no. And that's the end. They yeah, don't and Simon sleep. respects that. And she doesn't. And that's so hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Um, so she obviously knows the character herself knows the boundaries and she's willing to cross them. Um, and it, and yeah, you're right. Julia knows she's depicting rape because we can see how Simon like reacts to it is traumatic. He can't talk um, at first. Yeah. So his stutter comes horrible. back in a really horrific way. He can't even speak. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, only thing the first thing he's able to get out is don't touch me as she's getting close to him which is an obvious trauma response so yeah and then he leaves he couldn't look at her he couldn't be with her he didn't even want to be with himself but that unfortunately was beyond his meager control it just takes away like any sort of agency he has um completely disregards anything he wanted and then leaves him with this trauma that eventually he's supposed to just forgive Daphne for. Yeah, that was the moment I went from not really vibing with this character to full-on no longer rooting for her happiness. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just so bizarre because, like, literally three pages afterwards on page 329, um, the it's written, she hadn't planned it. She hadn't looked at him while he was sleeping and thought, he's probably still drunk. I can make love to him and capture his seed and he'll never know. It hadn't happened that way. But it's like, what did I just read five pages ago when you looked at him and knew you could have whatever you wanted? What was that then? Raise your hand if you've been gaslit by Julia Quinn. (laughs) All of us have. I was like, Daphne's not in the right here. And it wasn't excusable. I think she's trying to excuse it by being like, oh, it, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't like she was trying to do this. It was just in the moment because she loves him so much. And yes. that's gross. That is so gross. And the book continues to try and make it forgivable by once, like by explaining to us via Daphne that, oh, yeah, Simon's been living his whole life trying to spite his father, including this decision not to have children. It's all to spite his father and it has nothing to do with ho- his own personal happiness, which sure. But again, that is something you talk to your partner about. Right. Try to help them overcome their tr- like. 30 plus years of trauma yes you don't traumatize them more by raping them yes and imagine if she had been wrong and then they did have a child that he didn't want like an easy fix to this would just be he comes home drunk she lets him sleep in her bed she doesn't rape him and then they talk the next day but i guess that's too boring of a book but in doing this, she, like, completely villainizes her protagonist that we're st- still supposed to root for. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's deeply disturbing reading this now. Um, and I, like, wonder if Julia Quinn will, like, respond to any sort of criticism because she's getting a fresh wave of it with the Bridgerton series out uh, because they include that this scene in the series. Yeah, so I haven't watched the series an attempt not to spoil myself reading this book but a lot of my friends have texted me about it because it is so on brand for me on paper so i have heard that the sex or the rape scene was kept in and jenny had told me about it just so that i wasn't caught unaware before Mm -hmm. reading it so my i was really shocked and surprised that in the year 2020 the writers of bridgerton didn't go around it i I know it's a huge plot point in the book but i think it's so odd that they wrote it in and then didn't give it the severe consequence that it deserved like i think it could have if they wrote it in it should have had a severe consequence if they wanted to avoid it it could have been something where they were just having sex and they heard someone come out the stairs and they were knocking and in the chaos he just Right. It could be an accident. It could be an accident. And that way it'll then come to their big fight. Right. And they could go off in separate ways. And I mean, I I get that it's a really big plot point in the book because it causes them to have a massive fight and then for him to leave her for a Mm -hmm. couple months. But I just like, was it worth? Yeah. I'm just saying, I know that people who really love books are really protective of their adaptations. I am the same way. Mm-hmm. But would anyone really object to a rape scene being modified? Yeah. I mean, come on. And I think in the series, there's even... Because um, Simon in the series is a black man, there's, like, a lot more racial undertones. Oh, that. I had <laughs> Yeah. A lot of that. Oh, gross. Gross. Because, like, 
obviously um like white women raped black men in slavery uh-huh and so it just it just felt very um disgusting watching that and then having like the next episode be like well he lied to me and the book does the same exact thing where it's like well mm-hmm. i'm so deeply hurt by what you did it's like both we hurt each other equally which no no someone lying to you about not wanting to have kids is not equal to raping someone it's just (laughs) it's just not right like one's an omission and one's a horrifically traumatic event so so come on no sorry girl all right so yes he does leave her afterwards and then there's a more longing Yes. That I extra didn't enjoy because I don't agree with her. Yeah. So she goes to London. She goes, uh, she leaves the state they've been living at, Clavedon. And she goes to London. She goes to um, the house she and Simon have there, which is near um, her family's house. And it's causing a ruckus in the town because uh, Simon's not with her. And Simon's at this like inconsequential little estate he has. Um, And they both know where she knows where he is, but they're not having like any sort of contact. And she thinks she's pregnant. Yeah. And then this is where the book Extra tries to make a side with Daphne because her family comes and visit and they're all like, oh, my God, you poor baby. Like your husband left you. Her brothers are like, where is he? I'll kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's all very much like a framed of poor Daphne. Like, why would how could he do this to you? Because she's now ruined. She has a there's rumors spreading about her and no one thinks like hey what happened to make such a loving couple just so quickly uh break apart but the narrative very much was like uh don't you feel bad for Daphne and I'm just like no I would also want to get away from my rapist yeah and I also don't like that really the first chapter we get in Simon's point of view is then him missing her yeah he's like i've been alone before but i've never been lonely yeah it's just like oh no i mean obviously with a romance novel we know we're getting a happily ever after and that these protagonists will end up together um i just wish they had like maybe a more in-depth conversation about um how what she did was wrong because when they do see each other next um he kind of shirks the blame off of her on page 354 um she asks why he left and it's because um he felt so ashamed of himself for his stutter coming back um so Daphne asks it wasn't about what I did and his eyes meet hers evenly I didn't like what you did and then she asks but that wasn't why you left and he says it wasn't why I left Mm. (sighs) So it just completely excuses that behavior and yeah. totality. It's just. Yep. And like, that's my biggest problem. I won't speak for you, but like, there are stories that depict rape and depict trauma responses to rape mm-hmm. where the victim, you know, is attached to their abuser. Yeah. But that, na- like, but the narrative doesn't try to excuse that. It just depicts what happens. Yeah. But this very much, the narrative here very much excuses what happens. And that is not okay. Yes. Yeah. I think there's a difference, too. I, I'm thinking about um, Peggy Ornstein's book, Boys and Sex. And there's a chapter in there about, like, restorative justice and how she interviewed um, 
survivors of sexual assault and how for them the way they process their trauma was to eventually like um forgive their Mm -hmm. assaulter and how um and it talked about how like their assaulters possibly didn't even like realize what they did was harassment assault or rape but that's a very like personal decision and it depends on the survivor right so it's not a hundred percent and it doesn't excuse that their behavior it's more about you should know what you did was wrong and now you have to feel the weight of it right Um, yes and that doesn't happen here at all it's quite the opposite of oh yeah the thing you did actually wasn't that bad it's just an odd storyline to like use yeah and then i think she real like i don't know if she realizes or what happened there but she chose to go there with her story and then cover like and then like excused it for the rest of the novel I'm also yeah she excuses it for the rest of the novel and then she puts Simon as the one who fucked up right which just confuses me because on page 365 when they're getting back together and this is after um Daphne sends a letter to Simon saying she's pregnant by the time he gets back she gets her period she realizes she's not pregnant and they meet each other like on a horse chase essentially um and once there's once she's um okay she like falls from the horse make sure she's like physically okay he says if I ever ever hurt you again I want you to kill me um and they're like bantering like Mm -hmm. he's smiling but it puts him in like I was the one who hurt you. I was the one who did wrong. Yep. And everything you did was just a reaction. But mm-hmm. even if it was a reaction, it doesn't mean it wasn't bad or worse. Yeah. Or she's culpable in this. Right. And I mean, if we really want to make that argument, like every action is a reaction yep. to something. Doesn't make rape okay. No, of course not. Like, you know, that act is a reaction to your own personal rage or, like, whatever twisted part of your brain makes you think that that's an okay thing for you to do to someone. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, so... N- Unexcusable. Yeah. Anyhow, so they make up, ride back to town, and this is where the author again tries to, like, make... Oh, look at how cute and quirky the Bridgerton siblings are, because when they enter their house, her three brothers are standing there. Yes. It, like, everything about this book, from the rape forward, failed to be charming or Mm -hmm. cute to me well it completely takes us out of the fantasy right oh yes before then it's like okay maybe it's slow going and they're doing a lot of build-up for the other characters but there's bits of charm in there that uh, that like suspend our disbelief but when it gets to this rape scene it's just like ah okay this takes me out of romance completely it's the Mm -hmm. opposite of romance right um so then to then try and go back to what they what Julia had in the beginning of this like quirky family and them all being jovial it just doesn't feel right right yeah and like maybe some people can just set it aside but I like it was very present in my brain for the rest of the novel I couldn't put that aside and be like okay like just buy into the fantasy a little bit more no like impossible for me to do that yeah so eventually the book um ends on the brothers leaving and them going up to the bedroom and him seducing her once more and then we get two different prologues um did you read both i did read both okay cool the first one 
I don't even remember the first one. The first one's like literally two pages long, and then the second epilogue's like fifteen pages. Yeah, which what the fuck? Yeah, I know. Whenever I'm listening to these audiobooks, I always forget about the second epilogue, and I'm like, why do I have two hours left still? Two hours. It's normally like an hour. Anyways, so the first epilogue is just um, Simon and Daphne having a great time and him talking about Lady Whistledown and they're just happy. And then it cuts to Lady Whistledown writing a new section of her newspaper. And then the second epilogue is a major flash forward when Daphne's 41 years old. Let's talk about the second epilogue more, and then we'll circle back to the whole Lady Whistledown thing. Yes. It Weird. disturbed me on such a psychological level, and this is, again, a personal thing. Like, I don't expect everyone to have this reaction, but it is told, revealed to us that she and Simon have four yes. children, and that 41-year-old Daphne is pregnant again. 20 years later. All right. So the four children she had every year. Yes. For the first four years in their marriage. I know. I wrote down in four years. God damn. Because the book starts in 1813. It takes it's months of courtship and this whole thing. And so now she has four children in four years. Quite literally pumped them out every single year. And I. That is so... I think it's a little, like, gross that, like, once she had her son, there's, like, nothing left. It just goes back to that air and, like, propagating the line again. Right. Because her first, like, she has three children, three daughters, and then a son, and they're like, great, we have an heir, we're done. Right. Even though they have sex. Even though they still have sex. Which, weird, because you would... She... uh, No, they literally did say, like, oh, we don't know why she stopped having children, because they never used protection. It's like the magic. It's like movie magic, but in the novel. It's like, oh, you got an heir, so we'll stop now. And she did say she was, like, happy to keep pumping out kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like, again, bullshit. Because pregnancy is so traumatic on the female body in modern day with modern painkillers. You're telling me this. You're telling me Daphne was just fine with Regency-era medicine to keep going through pregnancy and keep going through childbirth? Because when she's talking about being pregnant, she's dreading having her mo- her um, morning sickness and the bloating and her being on bed rest and all of that. She, like, hates the act of being pregnant, but maybe she just likes having kids so much that uh, it's all good. It evens out. I'm just like, why are you so elated to be sick for nine months? It's quite literally a life-threatening event, birth back yeah. then. And I would argue for a lot of women, including black women, it mm-hmm. is especially black women, it is a life threatening event today. Now. Yeah. And I, it's it's so odd that Simon responds so happily. Uh we get this. Oh my little, god, yes, like, at forty one she's pregnant again and is supposed to survive it. Right. Because his mom passed away after several miscarriages when she was it's presumably a bit older in her life. So it wasn't like she was twenty two and dying from childbirth she was years into the marriage and so if his mom died at probably a relatively young age his wife is now pregnant 
at 41 and he's not worried about her health. He's just like, this is wonderful news. I'm so excited. That's it. All that aside, Colin? Colin. Colin comes to visit with his wife and their children. Mm -hmm. And the cutesy aspect of it is that they came to visit because their latest child is um, not talking. And which was almost three. He's almost three and he's never spoken, even though he like understands what everyone's saying and is like able to read. Like they can see him looking at like newspapers and things. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, this is like what happened with Simon. Like, can you come help? Which begs the question for me is Daphne went and shared Simon's trauma with her siblings. Because I can't see simon sharing it necessarily i can see maybe simon sharing it to anthony, anthony who of is course. his best friend but colin is literally just his brother-in-law yeah they like barely interacted like the only true interaction simon had with daphne's family was on that like excursion thing right. we talked about and way like back. maybe something happened over like the 20 years of their marriage where they're all super right. close now but like i still eh. yeah and even i'm thinking about in the second book there's like this huge scene um, that takes up like an entire chapter of them playing croquet together. But it's just Daphne, Simon, Anthony, and his love interests. It's not like the other children. So you don't really see any setup where they're all like really good friends. Yeah. So anyways, the point of the second epilogue is basically just to tie a neat bow around the story. It was like, oh, Daphne got what she wanted, which is a gaggle of children. And mm-hmm. they're deeply in love. And Simon's over his trauma enough to like help another child that was like him but honestly i don't really get the point of the second epilogue because all it does really is like serve to spoil further books like we know who colin ends up with just by reading the second epilogue when it's revealed in the fourth book in the series oh yeah you're right i don't i don't know i'm just i just remember reading this for the first time and i was like Colin ended up with her like I never saw that coming oh I see yeah well maybe this was added on after the fourth book had already been out as like a you know reprinting marketing thing it definitely was um but I mean people are reading the books for the first time it's not like they're gonna ignore the second epilogue and two I (sighs) think the second epilogues were in uh, like a bind up of like Bridgerton happily ever after oh. and I think it's striking that the happily ever after for Simon and Daphne is another kid um, which just goes back to um, sort of like Daphne's over like huge um, personality trait almost is just wanting to have a family when in the beginning there was a lot more to her was that there I a wish lot more saw. or was it there was set up for more there was set up for more but in but for me, I can really succinctly summarize Daphne's character as in love with Simon, knows how to punch things, wants kids. Yeah, you're not wrong. I just think there was so much more promise for her to be like, I, I don't know, I really liked the beginning with their banter and like her being able to like stand her ground. I think that would have been interesting, but instead of just, like, her showing her standing her ground throughout her marriage when he maybe has that, like, ownership thing, she just then, like, abuses her power. So, yeah. takes it way too far. So, to wrap up, I would give The Duke and I from the Bridgerton series, I was going to give it three, but after talking to you, mm-hmm. I will give it two out of five Rift Goddesses. Yes, I concur. Two out of five. 
think my first reread it was four, but when you really start analyzing this book, it just keeps dropping, unfortunately. Um, but I still have love for The Viscount Who Loved Me, which is the second book in the series and my favorite. So I recommend that one if you just want to skip The Duke and I altogether. Now, as I've mentioned, I haven't seen the series, mm-hmm. so I don't know who the town gossip Lady Whistledown is. Yes. But Jenny does. I do. I'm frustrated that they revealed it in the show because it takes the fourth book to be revealed. And it's like this thing where it's like a mounting pressure of being like, oh, who do you think Lady Lady Whistledown is? It's just shown in the eighth episode. So before you get my genuine reaction to who Lady Whistledown is, it's just someone who writes all of the inhabitants of the town's business yeah. into little newsletters. She's she's just a gossip columnist. Yeah, the OG gossip girl, quite yeah. literally. She's and, great. Yeah, so the whole town is, like, obsessed because, of course, before TV and internet, what mm-hmm. are you going to do except get into all your neighbor's business? Yeah. And now you know everything. You have receipts. Okay, Jennifer. Well, what's, what are your guesses? Do you have any? I, I think it's the dumpy Featherington sister. Do you know her name? You forgot her name. I forgot her name. Well, you are correct. It is Penelope Featherington. Wow. Yes. Um, I remember reading this book. I was like, uh, maybe it's Violet. Like her, oh, like her mom. mom. I was like, that could be interesting. But no, it's Penelope Featherington. Um, who is one of the protagonists of the fourth book with Colin. Um, At least it makes more sense than, uh, spoiler alert for Gossip Girl, oh. Dan. Dan. We hate Dan. Okay, I think it w- would have been fun if it was one of her brothers, though. Yeah. Like, that would have been fun. Like, like, it was Colin. Hilarious. Yeah. Like, even Anthony, who's like, I hate society. And then, like, at all these parties, he's, like, quote, unquote, forced to. He's just like, oh, my God. He's furious notes in the corner. Yeah. He's like, well, I know everything that's going down because I'm the hot commodity. True. That would be cool. But they say that because Penelope has um, no marriage prospects and she's a wallflower, she just people watches all the time. And that's how I guessed it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry that it was a little anticlimactic, you guys. That's okay. All right. So those are our thoughts on The Duke and I. Um, Unfortunately, quite disappointing this go around, but I will say um, one of our upcoming episodes is on spoiler alert, and we loved that one. So Yeah, we're not Debbie Downers all the time. Yeah. If you want to hear us just absolutely gush over a romance, definitely check that episode out when it comes. Well, it'll already be up with this episode. Oh, amazing. So check that one out. It'll be number three. Yes. So in the meantime, uh, give us five stars, rate and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Recommend the show to your other romance-loving friends because it would really help out a new podcast like us. Let yeah. us know your opinion. And we are ripping on pod on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And our Gmail will be in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, happy reading and don't get into any duels.